and just every position that I had after that, I just had this concept that I needed to do twice as much as everybody's just so, just so I don't get back into that hole again. And, um, you know, because of that situation, I was sidetracked, never had an opportunity or took the chance to go to college. So that means I got to learn twice as much as everybody so I can be as smart as them. And so I, I, so I just had to, I, I was just constantly pushing myself further and further and further and harder and harder and harder. So when I walked into a room with a bunch of suits that I wasn't the odd man out and you know, that got me one job and led to another, led to another. And I started a couple of companies, had some investors, you know, and, and, and faked my way through that. And then, uh, and then, um, yeah, you know how, you know how we all do that. And then, then I, then I become a financial advisor and then I become a, a manager and then I, I start um, doing well. And, and yeah, a few years later, I'm running actually about 120 million in revenues business for a major Wall Street firm. And, you know, I'm walking into every room going, they're going to find out, like, if they ever look at my resume, I'm screwed, because they're going to find out that this is all, this is all just smoke and mirrors. But I'm the I'm, I'm walking in, like, I'm walking into the room knowing I'm the smartest guy, and I'm certainly the hardest working guy. Most of us never learned how to train our brains, which is why most of us needlessly settle, struggle, and worse, suffer. My name is Chris Doris, and I want to make brain training mainstream. This is my series, Tough Talks, conversations on mental toughness. I'm interviewing badasses from all walks of life on what mental toughness means to them and their unique approaches to strengthening their minds. Uh, hey everybody, what's happening? Welcome back to Tough Talks, conversations on mental toughness. I'm your host, Chris Doris. And before we get to our fascinating guest today, uh, as always, if you're not receiving the daily dose, mental toughness tips in 30 seconds or less, every morning in your email inbox around 6 or 7 a.m., wherever you are on the planet, that is an absolute outrage that needs to be addressed straight away. And we can do that very simply by going to ChristopherDoris.com backslash lists, L-I-S-T-S. The reason there's an extra S on the end of there is because you can, at that place, you can get the Daily Dose. You can also sign up for the other list, two lists, Daily Dose, and then the blog and Tough Talks updates. So just sign up for both and you get your Daily Dose every morning and and then you will get notifications. Uh, you will, you'll get the new blog posts that come out every Tuesday and then you'll also get notifications of these new Tough Talks podcast episodes. David Richmond is the man today. He is our guest. David has, I have had very, very, very little contact uh, with David, but I've done quite a bit of research on him. And, and I know enough to say that this guy has a lot of stories. And, and I know going into this, because <laughs> of the notes that I've taken... And like, and how I've read his bio that only like kind of, and I'll read it to you. It it just gives you like the tiniest bit. It's not accurate, but I mean, his bio would be you know miles long if, if it was. It's it's not inaccurate. It just doesn't. Let me show you. <clears throat> David is an author, public speaker, and endurance athlete, whose mission is to form more meaningful human connections through storytelling. His first book. Winning in the Middle of the Pack, discussed how to get more out of ourselves than ever imagined. So I don't, I don't know what that, I mean, I could guess what that means, but we're going to unpack <laughs> Winning in the Middle of the Pack and, and find out from him what that even means. Like, why is that a title? What's it about? Uh, and then the next book, his more recent book, was Cycle, it was very recent, Cycle of Lives. David shares stories of people overcoming trauma, and delves deeply into their emotional journeys with cancer. He continued to do Ironman triathlons, 
and recently completed a solo 4,700-mile bike ride. He, see, that's what's... Oh, and, you know, just recently completed a solo 4,700-mile bike ride. Yeah, I know, that's impressive just by itself. But th- there's so much to that. Like, why? why? Why did you do that? What were you doing on that ride? What, what, what inspired the ride? You know, and that's what we're going to unpack. So I feel like I just got home from a nice, beautiful holiday, and it is time to unpack. <laughs> All right, man. David is waiting for us in the wings. Let's go find him. Where are you, man? Found him. There he is. What's up, there he David? is, David Richmond. What's up, dude? How you doing, Chris? How am I? I love being asked that question. Thank you for asking that. I mean that because when someone asks me that question, that's that's a reminder, <clears throat> and I love that word reminder for me to take an action, even like that to decide that and to have it be true. So my answer is, this is the best damn day of my life, man. That is fantastic. I love that. Why not? What a brilliant question. I got nothing. Right. Why not? Why not? Why not? Well, I'm I'll totally, tell you why. With you. I only started doing that a couple years ago. So like, why not before that? Because I didn't know it was an option. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, it, at some point, you just settle into the way you believe and you don't apologize for it, right? Like, I, I always tell people, they go, they go, man, you know, like, 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 stop being so optimistic. And I'm just like, <laughs> great advice. Well, I'm, Thanks. you know, I mean, it's like, sometimes it's a little ridiculous, right? And I go, well, listen, man, I, until I don't, I just believe my best days are ahead of me. So, 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 so I, I don't know what to tell you other than until I don't believe that, I believe it. So that that's that. You want to look in the rearview mirror? That's that, good for you. Roger that, brother. I feel you on that. <clears throat> and I also hear what you said there. Like sometimes it's perceived. Like optimism is, is perceived as phony or bullshit. There's even an there's even like research being done <laughs> at sophisticated institutions, academic institutions, on things called toxic positivity. <laughs> we don't need to get into this shit. But that I, I went off on a blog like that. That's just so stupid. How could how could positivity be to- if it was toxic? It wasn't positive. Right. So anyway, <laughs> how well, are the you? Very first, the very first quote that I can remember putting to memory that had any significance for me was 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 the quote that says, "I'd rather be an optimist and wrong than a pessimist and right." Hmm. And that stuck with me forever and ever and ever. But it wasn't until I did endurance athletics oh. and we're talking decades later that I, I, that I understood the true definition for me of what optimism is, but that was a quote that always stuck with me. Like, yeah. I'm like, why not think the best if I'm wrong? At least I was happy going into it. Right? Why am I- <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> this was pleasantly incorrect. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you used to be overweight and a smoker. I, uh, when I sat down to write my first not financial advice driven book, um, I calculated how many cigarettes I had smoked and it was probably around 250,000 cigarettes in my life. How stupid am I? Well, actually, you're not, if you could do the math on that, you're probably pretty smart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's hard to imagine, right? Because you're so like, you, you're, how long have you been an endurance athlete? 20 years. So I smoked for 20 years and then, then I've stopped smoking for 20 years. So, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, I, I had uh, a, a little bit of a rough childhood. I was probably a little bit of a loner. Didn't really uh, have a, a guide, a mentor, somebody to help me make decisions mm. or, mm. Um, tell, you know, that I could listen to that would bother to tell me the difference between right and wrong or whatever. And so I just, I just did things um, just because I did them not with purpose or whatever. And one of those things I did was smoke. And, and then it became a, a, a thing I went to every time I was stressed out or angry or hungry or woke up or went out or whatever, it just became the thing that I did. And I never quit uh, until I was ready to quit. So I never, I never thought I needed to quit. And then when it started to creep into my mind that I needed to quit, I didn't try to quit because I didn't want to fail at it because I feel like once you, (laughs) right. Once you accept failure, then you're okay with it. Oh, okay. Right. Once you accept failure, you're okay with it. 
And, and I didn't want to fail at that. I knew it was too important. I, I, it was just had in my head that if I, if I allowed myself to try to quit, then I'm in big trouble. I either had to not quit or quit like nothing in between. And so one day it just finally hit me that I, that I had to quit. And I just said, okay, you're done. And that was, bam. That was last cigarette that day. That's an unusual story. Yeah, but you, I mean, you that's can, a really unusual story for, you know, yeah. one of the strongest addictions on the planet earth, if not the, it was really tough, but it was a, it was a, it was a confluence of many different things. So I, in a very, very short period of time, and I'm talking within a couple of weeks of each other, um, uh, three or four major things happened to me. Um, one is I finally found a safe way, uh, and we don't need to get into the details of this, but a safe way to get out of a very violent marriage to a violent alcoholic. Oh, okay. I had, I had two young twins, I had four-year-old twins, and we finally got us to safety, okay? Then um, uh, my sister, um, told me that she was uh, diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. Then my daughter, who was four, you know, one, one of the twins um, said, hey, I heard at school that that smoking is cancer. Aunt June has cancer and uh, I don't want you to have cancer. And so do you want to not smoke? And then I looked in the mirror and I said, like, who are you? Like, what's like, like, where are you in life? And I just said, wow, man, you are not where you need to be. And I said, what, what, what do you want to do? And I go, well, number one is I don't want to be a smoker anymore. And so now nah, quit, just quit. That was it. Oh. Well, props to you, man. <clears throat> I like that. I want to slow that down, Skosh, because that's so psychological. You know, the, did you have any physiological withdrawals or did you like struggle physiologically with the um, experience of I, I, I don't say quitting smoking. I say returning to your non-smoking status. Uh, <laughs> oh, it was hard. It was so hard. Really? And it was, it took probably about 10 years before I stopped walking by somebody that was smoking and going, oh my God, that smells so good. Right. And Did wanting you know? one. Oh, and it, it probably took me about three or four years to stop wanting one. Okay. It took me probably another five or six years to stop having that like, oh, that smells good because, you know, childhood memory of my uncle smoking a Merit in the car and then rolling down the windows and the smoke. Goes, and I just like there's memories. And and dude, I, I I one time lived off of cigarettes for three days. I didn't have any food. I didn't have any money. I didn't have anybody to call totally homeless, like nothing but a pack of cig but a carton of cigarettes. And so cigarettes became like this this go-to for me. And it had a lot, I had a lot of emotional attachment, not just the physical addiction, but I had a lot of emotional attachment to it. And uh, to, to take off that emotional blanket, not, not just the physical one, but, but every, you know, it, it was my safety go-to whatever. Thank God, like it wasn't heroin or something like that, but, but, you uh, know. Well, some say that nicotine is even more addictive. Right. Maybe not the same withdrawal experiences, but you mentioned, you said, you said something just now <clears throat> that I want to open up because I had put it down in my notes when I was researching you. I can't remember where I read this. And mm -hmm. I don't even remember if I said this in the introduction or not, but um, you were homeless. You went from homelessness to running a hundred million dollar business. Yeah. That is also an unusual story. <laughs> don't call it a comeback. <laughs> yeah it's um in golf there's a stat called a bounce back stat that's a pretty good bounce that's back. that's a bounce back i, I oh, yeah man. it wasn't like one day one day homeless the next day that but um yeah the short the short story is this chris um i left home at 18 uh had a dad that was nearly 40 years older than my mom and uh so he was too old to really want kids. She was way, way, way too young to have them. And she didn't like them anyway. And so, so at 18, it was like out the door, but I was 18 going on about 12. And if I wasn't, if you told me this story, I might, I might shrug and go, yeah, right. Whatever. Because I, there's no way I believe you, but this is the truth. Cause I, I lived it. I, I was 12 years old. I was 18, but I was very immature. I get in my car. I drive to Vegas. My car 
breaks down in Vegas. Okay. Well, I'm not driving to Vegas. I'm, I'm going to different uh, colleges that I got accepted to. And, I, and that's, that's just the first th stop along the way. And uh, two days later, I found myself um, at the face of a gun who right pointed right, right there, point blank, um, robbed me of everything that I had. I did not have anybody to call and nowhere to go. And yeah, so I, I jumped into my car um, and I drove, all I could do is drive it behind a, a, a supermarket on the highway and I parked it. I'd, I did an inventory. I had a carton of cigarettes to close on my back and 56 cents. And that was it. And I didn't have anybody to call, nowhere to go. No, didn't know what the hell to do. And I'm telling you, I was, I was not worldly in, in, in at all. I had no idea what to do. And so about three or four days later, I finally figured out that like, I can't just stay in my car and smoke cigarettes for my meals. Right. Oh my God. And so, um, I made a phone call. I, I collect called my sister and, uh, and, but didn't have the heart to tell her what had happened. And just to, just to have a friendly voice. Mm. And, and I said, yeah, I think I might stay here in Vegas in a while. And she's like, ah, well go into the Jack in the box, man, get a job at Jack in the box. Cause I used to work there as a high school kid. So I walked into the Jack in the box and the manager looks at me and she's like, wow, uh, what the hell are you doing in here? We don't allow people like you in here. And I said, no, 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 no. Trust me. Trust me. It's not like that. And yeah, that was the first start. So, um, wait, did you get the job? Yeah, I got the job. And, and oddly enough, did you well, think you're I, a drug addict? I, I did. I, I got it because I, I, I convinced her just make one phone call, call, call my manager from when I was, I, I'm not like, I'm not drug addict. I, I'm just telling you, it's just, I just got robbed. I didn't know. I don't have anybody to call. Whatever. And, and so she called, got a great review. Um, she said, okay, I'll, I'll hire you. And, and you know what, what the heck, you can stay with me for a few days until you figure it out. So really, wow. What an angel. Yeah. So it went from wow. like the worst thing that you could imagine. Are you yeah. by chance still yeah. So I saw, I saw, I'm not, I'm not. Well, but, but what's, somehow, what's if we could just set our intention right now to somehow get this episode of Tough Talks to that human being's ears. Bless you, <laughs> lady. You ain't earth angel, whoever you right. are. Way to go. Yeah. So within like a week, right, I leave home. I get robbed of everything I have at gunpoint. And then somebody takes me in and, and gives me a gives me a. But you so, created that, right? Yeah. You are lucky. I mean, you can say you're lucky that you got robbed. No, you know, right. are you, but you created that, right? Yeah. You had options. And that's mental toughness to me, baby. Seriously, so, right? Yeah, totally. So my where my mental toughness came from is, okay, I'm stuck here in a place that I don't know. And I don't know anybody. I don't have any money. I, I don't have anybody to call. I don't have any friends. I don't know whatever, right? Because I'm just, I'm just plucked into this place. So the way that I, developed this this kind of toughness was i got to work harder than everybody else because i'm coming from a very very deep hole now whether that was life giving it to me the way i perceived it or i dug the hole i don't know but i i realized i'm in a very deep hole so the only way to get out of it is to work hard like hard so i'm working double shifts i get a second job i, I start working at a hotel i i, I work two positions there I'm counting coins at, at, uh, overnight. At this is a, in Vegas. In Vegas. I'm counting coins at a hotel um, on the graveyard shift. And, and I'm, I'm working as many hours as a human being could work and whatever. And just every position that I had after that, I just had this concept that I needed to do twice as much as everybody's just so, just so I don't get back into that hole again. And um you know, because of that situation, I was sidetracked, never had an opportunity or took the chance to go to college. So that wow. means I got to learn twice as much as everybody so I can be as smart as them. And so I, I so I just had to I, I was just constantly pushing myself further and further and further and harder and harder and harder. So when I walked into a room with a bunch of suits that I wasn't the odd man out and you know, that got me one job and led to another, led to another. And I started a couple of companies, had some investors, you know, and, and, and faked my way through that. And then, uh, and then, um, yeah, you know how, you know how we all do that. And then, then I, then I become a financial advisor and then I become a, a manager. And then I, I start, 
I'm doing well. And, and yeah, a few years later, I'm running actually about 120 million in revenues business for a major Wall Street firm. And, you know, I'm walking into every room going, they're going to find out, like, if they ever look at my resume, I'm screwed because they're going to find out that this is all, this is all just smoke and mirrors. But I'm the, I'm, I'm walking in, like, I'm walking into the room knowing I'm the smartest guy and I'm certainly the hardest working guy. What's funny about that, right? No, it's It's not that part of it. Yeah. That part of it, it's not phony. It's, it's, it, it does have a little bit of imposter syndrome, whatever to it, but but it's also a little bit looking over my back, like, man, I hope they don't find out that I don't belong in the room, you know? So so the only way they can find out, can't find out, is if, I, if, if I'm the shining star in the room, which is fine, right? Sometimes you, you just got to fake it till you make it. That's interesting. Or just be it. Or and just not, be it. Not be fake. Yeah, I used to have a like, friend. Like, be it now. To like, I, I used to... Yeah, like I don't hear you. I hear nothing in that story that has me think fake or fake. Not fake, but posing. Because what I hear, all right, is that you, and this is freaking huge, man. I bet you anything, if if one thing people take away from this conversation already, it's this is damn it, choosing how to be despite the circumstance, not letting circumstance govern who you're being. There ain't nothing fake about that, brother, man. I, I hear you. I, I, I was probably a bad choice of words. I had a friend who used to say, act as if. And I'm like, yeah, yeah that's right. So, Being, so uh, acting as if and then having that be true as a consequence of your actions. Act, right. not acting like Hollywood. It's just be it. Yeah. So what happened? I remember like one one way that you act as if is I was in a room full of uh, of, of potential investors for a skincare company that I was, I was starting. And we went through the whole business plan and the whole thing and what I was asking for and what, what I, how, how I thought it was going to work out. And one of them uh, stopped and said, uh, yeah, so what you haven't got into your education, where'd you get your MBA? And I said, is that important to you? Is that important to you where I got my MBA? In other words, why the hell are you asked me such a stupid question? Because what does that have to do with anything, right? Where, why is that important? Where I got my MBA? Yeah. Now, right, inside, right. I'm going MBA. Shit, I haven't even been to college. I don't know what you're talking MBA. about. <laughs> but now, if he would have answered yes, it's important to me, then I would have been in trouble, yeah, right? I gotta go. But I'm act as if it's not important, is it? Is that really important? Powerful man. That that's so powerful. Seeing through the questions, like who cares? So, so when I, um, so wait, wait, so what did they say? So the person said, no, I guess not. And they just walked, they just moved on. No, they go, they go, no, I was just, I was just curious. I go, I know it's not that important. It's no big deal. It's let's get back to talking about whatever. But, um, you know, when I, when I, when I stood there in front of the mirror and, and was processing my sister's situation, me being finally in a safe space with my kids and and really looking at myself for the first time in the mirror and saying like who do you who do you want who are you which I didn't know mm. who do you want to be which I didn't know I, I kept thinking about that well just act as if like just just be who you want to be and and you'll make it happen and I said well I want to I want to be an athlete I, I've never been an athlete what is that and you can't be a smoker or overweight and be an athlete and and you you can't want to be it without without trying it. So that was, that was the start of it. And, um, you know, at the same time that I stopped smoking, I started, you know, becoming athletic and that led to, that led to where all the, all the real growth, I think in my life uh, happened. That is amazing. And it's also a perfect segue into the the rest of the stuff I want to talk to you about, but Mm -hmm. before we do, I want to slow some down because there's, 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 some real gold in what you just dropped. And I want to make pe- make sure people can get it. Mm. When you asked that question, or you were asked a question, was it an interview? Where'd you get your MBA? Was that an interview? It was a room full of bankers. Oh, it was a room full of Holy shit. I wasn't yeah. even listening good enough to you. Now that makes even, yeah. my point is even bigger now. So you... Is it a group interview or you are being interviewed or what, like, what was, why are you in that room? I was, ask. I w- I was asking a group of, 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 of potential investors for, uh, for money you to take my, 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 to take my company to the next level. Got it. And so that's an intimidating 
it can delete. I don't agree with the sentence I started right there. It can be a, and often is a very intimidating set of circumstances. Okay. Right. Real easy circumstance to get nervous. Oh yeah. Then you're asked a question by people who you believe you need something from money in order to get to where you want to be business success, financial stability, wealth. And then they ask you a question that is a critical moment. I, I, I would say that that could be one of uh, the most fascinating moments of your life without even knowing you and how you handled it. That, this is why I'm going to slow this down. It's who you were in that moment. You could, you could have easily folded, mm-hmm. right? Because by virtue of the question being articulated out loud with people in a position of power, attributed power, Right. That, that would be a set of circumstances where it would be effortless to crumble. But yet you stood, you saw through the question. You chose to be so self-assured, certain, courageous to transcend the question. To, and that read, the ha- I wish I had video of that moment. I swear I would love to watch because what happened, like people heard the question and they're like, yeah, yeah where, where did you go? And then you go, is that important? And they go, they, they, everyone, maybe somebody in the room said, I feel like it is, but they didn't say that out loud. So you saying, is it important? Changed everybody's minds. That's amazing. That's like, that's an amazing moment to me. You know what it would be? Well, thank you. And you know what it would be like? It would be like when you get ready to talk to a client and the client, a potential client uh, about your services, and they say, oh, great, Chris. Well, how much does it cost? Right. My, my answer, depending on the situation, might be exactly the same thing. Well, is that important to you? Right. Because because if it is, that's okay. That's okay if it's important to you. But but if if I make it so that you're not concerned about that anymore, is there anything else that's preventing us from working together because if that's the thing that's important to you, let's discuss it. But is there anything else that might be more important? And yeah. I just sat there in that moment going, what the hell, why the hell would my MBA be important to this decision? That you being a leader right there in either of those scenarios or any other one that you can come up is your decision in moment, mm-hmm. not let a question and what's implied by the question, even being asked, which is that matters. Right. You led. Yeah. You led the conversation. You didn't be governed by it. You were the governor. The governor. <laughs> I love that, man. That might become that might become in say in sales, right? And 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 a lot of times sales is is one-on-one. Sometimes it's in a group. Sometimes it's not to get a sale. Sometimes it's to it's it's to it's to um, uh, further a relationship or whatever. I love the question. I've, I've asked it uh, innumerable times. Is that important to you? Because sometimes we ask questions just because we want to, we, we, we have some kind of nervous twitch or something, right? Mm. Is it important to you? N- no, it's really not important to me, but I didn't know what else to say right then. It's <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. You were governing the conversation because you, you, you stayed, you kept your concentration focused on what would be mutually beneficial, beneficial, like the point, the mission, and didn't let a meaningless question redirect right. you. Right. Powerful stuff, man. All right. <clears throat> you have, these are two of your books. Yep. The first one is entitled Winning in the Middle of the Pack. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> um. <laughs> It's it's a it's a theory that some people don't agree with, but I I full wholeheartedly ag- agree with it just because I've lived it. So here here's Bring what winning in the middle of the pack means. Okay. Okay. It means this. It means I don't have much in common with Elon Musk and Oprah Winfrey and Michael Jordan. I don't have much in common. We're, we're humans, but besides that, I don't have anything in common with them. And 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 um. And I don't have anything in common with the dude that's living on his mom's couch, playing video games at 30 years old, drinking beer all day. Okay. So I don't have anything in common with those two ends of the spectrum, but those two people, those, those, those two ends of the spectrum, they have one thing in common. 
That is, they could care less what anybody thinks. They're going to do what they do regardless. No matter how many coaches or how many therapists or how many whatever, they don't care, man. They're living their lives and screw you. They know better. <laughs> so, right. They could care less what anybody else thinks. Everybody in the middle of the pack, me included, right? So, so middle of the pack could still be pretty darn good or pretty darn bad, but, but middle of the pack, I think we all do care, right? We're like, we're, we want to make our parents happy. We care about what, what the teacher thinks of us. We, 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 we want to make our girlfriend or our boyfriend happy. So we act a certain way, or we, we say the thing that we think our boss wants to hear so that we, right. We're, we're always thinking like, what does other people think about us? Or how should I be? Or what's what's the expectation? What people want from me? The people at the other ends of the spectrum, they could care less what anybody else thinks. So I think that middle of the pack means the person that it matters to is you. <clears throat> because when I started doing runs, and then I started doing Ironmans, and I started doing these crazy things, I realized that nobody's watching and nobody cared. Man, that's awesome. Like, that's fantastic. The only thing, the only thing that matters is what do I. I think, right? So where do you win? Winning in the middle of the pack, it means winning for you. It doesn't mean um, uh, winning at a certain level or accomplishing a certain goal or whatever. It just means in the big scheme of things, isn't it beautiful to know that nobody's watching, nobody cares. The only person that matters is the one in the mirror. And I love this quote, what one of the founders of Ironman and he talks about the Ironman and he said, you know, he goes, you know, during the day, you're going to want to quit a thousand times. And if you do, nobody's going to care, but you're always going to know. Mm. And I'm like, mm. yeah, like I, yeah, I've lived my whole life wondering now my problems, but wondering like, how can I fix the problem? How can I make somebody feel better about something? How can I, how can I, you know, uh, get, get, get my boss to, to, to give me a promotion? How can I get my to work harder for me that I'm always thinking about like, what's every, and then I go, no, maybe I should worry about myself for a second. And what do I think of me? Cause I never had done that. And when I, wow, when wow. I started caring about what I thought about me, that's when my life changed. That that's really where it changed. And I'm just thinking, man, wouldn't it be nice to have had Oprah Winfrey's brilliance or Serena Williams brilliance where they could care less what anybody thinks, man, they are just driven because they're trying to prove something to themselves. Yeah. You know, Kobe Bryant wasn't shooting free throws in front of a crowd when everybody went home and his teammates went home and the people were cleaning the, the, the stadium. He was still practicing free throws because he was doing it for himself. Mm. It's awesome. I mean, it's super empowering. So that's where winning in the middle of the pack came. And I wrote that book by, by doing this. I said, I said, uh, in life and endurance athletics and running a super large business, there's a lot of parallels. So I just told a little story about some lesson I learned or something, and then relate it to endurance athletics and running a business and, and life. Not, not preachy, not prescriptive, just more storytelling. So it's a huge shift away from being driven to satisfy or manage other people's impressions of you, relieving your like Sisyphus or, or Atlas shrugged rather. Atlas shrugged. Atlas, yeah. Atlas shrugged. Yeah. My, my, my Greek God bone. Yeah. Atlas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Saying I don't need that. I don't need to carry that weight. Yeah. And now when the weight, the, the burden of that weight <clears throat> of being governed, we'll stick with that, by the belief that I need to manage other people's impressions of me. Now that that's gone, now you're free to go be amazing for one reason, and it's because you can. Yeah, and because you can. It's it's the slightest <laughs> little. Love that more. It's a little slightest little turn of a dial, right? And who can't? Who? Which one of your listeners cannot pick a time in their life, yesterday or twenty years ago? where they walk into a room full of people and they were super nervous. What are these people going to think about what I do or with the job that I do or the presentation that I make or the speech that I give or the project that I, that I'm going to work on, right? Who can't put themselves in the mindset of what the heck is everybody going to think about me, which is fine. I'm not saying that's wrong, but if you could just turn the dial a little bit more 
and and I I didn't learn this till later in life. If I could just turn the dial perspective dial a little bit and go, you know what? When I walk into that room under the same circumstances, the only thing that's going to matter to me is that when I walk out, I'm proud of what I did. I did the best I could do. Like what what whatever ha- I don't have any control. And by the way, I'm just a passerby in their life, and they're just a passerby in my life. I'm living my life, right? They're not. I'm not living theirs. Stop thinking about it. Just do the best that you can do for you, which is, it's not self-centered. It's, it's not selfish. It's more like self-aware mm, and, yeah, yeah. and, and trying to trying to like, I love being able to walk out of a room going, I can really care less what anybody else thinks. Like I, I care, but, but I don't really care. What I care is that, did I give it the best that I could give it? That that's way more important. Otherwise, why am I doing it? Amen. <clears throat> that is very relieving. Yeah. Uh, and I like the experience of being relieved, the, re- the feeling of relief from unnecessary struggle. Yeah. And that's all I'm hearing from you right now, man. Can, You're reminding can I tell you? Yeah, yeah. No, I don't, I, sorry to interrupt you. I was going to tell you a super quick story. So I don't have to be super quick. You got good stories, I'm, man. I'm, I'm like six months in to starting to lose weight, stop smoking, I'm starting to be athletic, and I go do a half Ironman. Okay. Which is stupid. I got no business doing a half Ironman, right? It's a, it's a 1.2 mile swim. It's a 56 mile bike ride and then a half marathon in succession. And it's in Northern California. And I'm very nervous going to do this thing. Cause I'm a total imposter. I have no business being there. I'm not an athlete. Ironman are athletes. And they do this wave start where, where, you know, they send off a hundred people at a time down the river. It's not a mass start. So I go up to the I got nervous energy. I go to the start line. I watch the first wave go off and literally go back to your Greek God. So literally everybody standing in the water up to, up to their knees is a Greek God, right? Everybody is like chiseled and cut, it, you know, spandex muscles popping. And I'm just like, what the hell am I even doing here? <laughs> like, this is the most ridiculous thing ever. I need to go home right now. Cause I do not belong in this room full of athletes, right? This is ridiculous. And I, I'm so self-conscious and I'm so like, oh my God, you so don't belong here. And the gun goes off and about 90% of the swimmers take off as they start swimming. I'm like, all right. And then I, right before I turn away and go, I'm going home. I look and one of these Greek gods flips onto their back and starts pedaling on their back. And another one of these Greek gods starts like dog, doggy paddling to the side of the river. And another one starts swimming in circles. And I'm like, oh, what the hell, man? <laughs> like I could swim. Like, why can't I go out there and swim? And I started thinking like, like those guys didn't care what anybody else think. They're just doing the best they can do. Like maybe they can, you know, bike and run better. They certainly can't swim. They don't seem to mind. So why the hell do I? So just go out there and give it your best. It was like, I was that close to turning around and going home because I thought I don't belong in this, in, in this group. And I just said, who cares? Like, just, just go down and do the best you can do. <laughs> that is such a great story, man. Let so have, so <clears throat> I'm going to, what's the moral of that story? Yeah. The, the moral of the story is just care about what you think. Like I went out there and I, I did the best that I could do. I definitely didn't win. I didn't come in last. Right. But what I did was I, I, I realized that I belong there because it's what I wanted to do. Right. That's, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go see if I could do a half fireman. Now, I, my motivation was not to be the, the, the best looking guy out there with the most muscles. My motivation was not to win the race. My motivation was not to have everybody look at me like, wow, look at that athlete. My motivation was to go. I, I used to be a smoker. I was overweight. I still am a little bit overweight. I, I don't know what the hell I'm doing out here, but I'd like to see if I could do something ridiculous, like a seven hour, you know, half Ironman, which is like ridiculous to think that I could do that. And I did. And you and, did. And when I, yeah. And when I got to the finish line, I kind of teared up a little bit going, man, look what you can do. Like, how cool is that? And I, it was in relation to almost getting in my car and driving home because I thought I didn't belong there. So the, the lesson is, if it's something that you want to do, the only person that matters is you. That's what winning in the middle of the pack means. <laughs> Love it. All right. Now you got another one. When did you, when did you write cycle? 
It, it, it literally Psycho Elijah just came out about a year and change ago. Just, just so, very so they were recording this. This is going to go live, by the way, in yeah. May of 2022. Yep. I want to remind you because I want to, what I want to, I want to talk about, I want to ask you about, please don't let us forget this. You're doing a 20, because this, this is going to go live like right before you do a fundraiser, your yep. 24 hour ride in Texas. Yes. So I want to talk about that. So let's not forget, yep. we won't forget that. <clears throat> but let's talk about Cycle of Lives because that's a pretty mm-hmm. impressive. It's an amazing story. Mm-hmm. It's a story of stories. Yes. So can you tell us about, about it? Yeah. So that's uh, changing gears, you know, from focusing on myself to, to focusing on others. And um, when my sister was going through brain cancer, uh, we were super close in age and we were pretty close, um, you know, as brother and sister. Um, we both understood the kind of, wacky you know, childhood that we had we, you know i kind of admired her because she got out of that a lot healthier than i did you know great husband two two kids great circle of friends great career she was living her life and very 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 happy you know boisterous fun you know uh, life of the party kind of in, in a really good way in a grounded way and um uh, everybody loved her. And, and so I kind of admired her and I, I watched her and knowing that, that, that I was right at that point, Chris, going down a path to see who I was right at that time, she was on a path to know that she was going to die. And it made us really have the, given the opportunity to have some pretty deep, deep talks. And I also, I wanted to observe, like, I wanted to see, like, could I find out anything about her that made it so that she was so grounded and so, so, so just present in, in life where, where I wasn't. And as I watched her and I watched the doctors and the people that took care of her and friends and family and all this other stuff, I realized that people were really good about the tasks related to cancer or whatever trauma, you know, and that is how do I navigate the healthcare system? How do I eat better? how do I get my kids watched Why I'm going to a doctor's appointment? Like these kind of things, people were all kind of rallying around and people could wrap their brains around. But when it came to, how do you feel about it? Are you frightened? Um, how, you know, what's going through your head today? Uh, that was not a, a, a place where people had the tools to navigate those kind of hard conversations. Mm. Um, and it really, it really hit me when uh, we were going to do this 24 hour relay for life that the american cancer society puts on and june was going to be there to watch everybody for the whole 24 hours and and it was you know things were getting bad for her and i said well listen if you're going to be there for the whole 24 i'll run the whole 24 and so um she died unfortunately two days before that event so she didn't get to see all the people rally for her but i still went and there was a ton of people and you know tons of teams and i just I just watched everybody. I was kind of real somber day, um, watched everybody. And I realized that when it came to the emotional side of it, Chris, they just were not equipped. People just isolated, head down, eyes kind of focused on the ground. Um, you know, like even with loved ones, okay, I'll hold your hand, but I'm not going to talk to you about it because it's too hard. How do you ask somebody how they feel about having lost somebody? Or how do you, how do you ask somebody how they, are they frightened of, of dying? And uh, you know, like well, there's so many wrong things you could say and w- whatever. So I just watched this thing going, man, what the hell? So how can we maybe shed some light on this? Like if we're all carrying around a tool belt, how can we put a couple extra tools in our belt to know how to deal with uh, a people that are going through really difficult things? Or how can we allow ourselves to communicate with them when we're going through difficult things? Because who doesn't know this? Chris, you know this. Somebody, you're having a good day, you're, you're just living your life and, and somebody stops by and you go, Hey, Chris, what's going on? And you, ah, nothing. What's going on with you? Oh, I don't know. A little rough day. You know, my, my aunt just, uh, just her son. So, so you know, my, my nephew just, just got, you know, news that he's, he's got cancer and it's not really good. What, what do you say? You're like, uh, Oh, geez, I'm sorry. And then you ask it, exit the interview or the, the conversation as quick as possible. How can you say, Hey, you're having a good day. You're living your life. I don't want to bring them down. I don't want to say stupid. I don't want to say something stupid. Like, I don't want to make them feel bad. I, better not to. Uh, right. And so I, I saw that and I said, how, how can I delve into that topic in the right way so that I could learn so that, so that 
I, I could have other people learn how, how do we start those hard conversations? Does uh, that make sense? Yeah, man. So, uh, so let's, let's, so why is it called cycle? Mm-hmm. Oh, cycle wow. of lives. Yeah. So here's what I said, Chris, I said, I said, I'm kind of inspired by one person's story, but I'm, it doesn't permeate super deep. But if I could, if, if I could get like moved by, by, by a number of stories that kind of shed light uh, on a whole bunch of different perspectives, then I, it's going to sink in. Maybe I got a harder head than most people, but it, I, I need to see it like a lot of different ways and whatever. And I said, with this topic, let, let's, let's look at a wheel and, and it's all divided up into different sections, right? Those are different human emotions that we all have and different ages, little sector over here for young, little for old, little section for, um, uh, I had cancer once, I only fear cancer, I've had cancer my whole life, or a uh, little sector for, I was the patient, I was their survivor, I was the oncologist, I was the caregiver, I was the loved one. So I just said, how many of these little sections of the wheel can I fill in? Because I want to give as much of a view. I didn't want to talk to 10 teenagers. I wanted to talk to people of all different ages. I didn't want to talk to 15 people who lost somebody. I wanted to talk to people who, who, who survived five different cancers, like, like live their whole life with it, right? Because it's not always a death sentence. So I wanted this whole thing and I got to this cycle. A, 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 a cycle, right? A wheel that has all these things. And I'm like, oh, what's on a wheel, a cycle, cycle of life. You got all the cycle of emotions and, you know, the ups and downs of life. And I just came up with this idea that, hmm. that it's a wheel with all these sections I wanted to fill in to give as much of a view as possible of this experience of the emotional side of, of trauma. And then, uh, and then as kind of a gimmicky thing, I, I came to really believe uh, that there's really like two truths in the world. Uh, one is we're all connected by story. You're a big storyteller. I'm a storyteller, obviously. Who doesn't lean in when you say I got a good story, right? We all want to hear a good story. And then two, we're all connected by emotion. There's not a single person alive. I don't care if you're, the, if you're Michael Phelps, the best swimmer in the world. There's not a single person alive that stuck under the water not knowing how to get to the air would not be fearful. Every single one of us would. We all we all have the emotion, the same basic emotions mm. that stem out of our survival instincts. And so, um, if we're connected by emotion, and we're connected by story, after I had interviewed people for a couple of years and got my stories, what better way to connect them than to jump on my bike and be the thread that connects those stories together? So I had. I, I jumped on my bike. I did a, nearly a 5,000 mile bike ride um, from California, basically to Florida, up to New York, uh, zigzagging, meet as many people f- from the book and, and also as many people along the way. Um, so I could be the thread that ties these stories together. <laughs> okay. We're, we, we definitely need to slow that down. <laughs> I know it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> well, no, but like, okay. Yeah. Well, you, you're used to telling this story. I'm not used to hearing it, so I'm going to slow it down for us. Right? <laughs> so when, at what point in this experience of writing the book did you decide you're going to hop on your bike and go meet these people who you found in the world from all the different roles, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> yeah. That's the end of the question. <laughs> I know so the, 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 when I determined it is I went into this thing, not knowing how we're all connected. I, I, I went into it saying, I just want to find a bunch of different types of people, because if I can shine a bunch of different lights on people's experience, then we can learn a little bit from each of them. And they're all different. And then I realized after talking to people, we are definitely all connected. Uh, we are connected from, from the point, a view that we all have the same basic emotions and we're connected from the point that everybody's story is unbelievably interesting. Mm-hmm. There's not a person that I spoke to whose story was not unbelievably interesting. And, and so if we're all connected by two things that our life's stories are amazing, we, we, we go through things that people could have no idea what we're going through or what we've been through. 
right? We have these fascinating lives, every single one of us, and we're connected by emotion. Then I just said, connect. I just kept thinking connected. How are we all connected, connected, connected? And then I got this vision in my head of, you know, remember those old timey movies where like Cary Grant would go on a plane around the world. And as he stopped, there'd be like a little red line. Yeah. On a map. Line. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. the little red line. And I just yeah. thought, well, heck, that kind of connects all those places that he went. So I said, why not connect all these stories by, by being the line, I'm going to be the thread that connects the stories. So then I said, well, I asked my wife, I says, is it cool? Like if I go on this bus well, at the time, she was my, my fiance. She's like, Hey, if you want to, if you want to go do it, go do it. And I'm like, I think, I think it, I think it's going to add a good perspective to, to the, to the project. So yeah, I'd like to do it. So how long did that journey take? Uh, so not nearly long enough, um, uh, because I, I did 4,700 miles in 45 days and I took four days off along the way. Um, so 4,700 miles in 41 days, that's 120 odd miles a day, which is really, really tough when you're on a big steel bike, you know, carrying your gear and, and being solo and also the heat. Uh, the no one with you. No one was driving. Well, I, uh, my my fiance at the time, my wife now, uh, driving back and forth. Like she was supporting me. I had some friends that came along to support me. Even one day, I had a buddy. I, actually, a couple of days in Florida, I had I had people uh, biking with me, but but it was mostly alone. And maybe a third of the days were self supported, so where I didn't have anybody um, to help me along the way. Um, but the heat the wind, the hills, the, you know, the, the, I had, I, you know, I, I had to get from day one to point A to point B day one, every day. Yeah. Cause I had, yeah. you know, I had hospitals to go see. Yeah. I had people, people going were waiting I, for you. Yeah. I had hotels that were hotels that were donated. And if I, if I missed one day, the domino effect of having to change all those other hotel rooms, Oh my goodness. You know, it was, it was, I had to figure out a way to wake up in the morning and get to where I needed to get to, no matter what happened. I had to figure out a way to do it. It's a great lesson in life. Did you do a hundred miles in torrential downpours ever? I, let me tell you the funniest story. (laughs) Funniest story of, of, of this, of this whole bike ride. For me, the funniest story was I was in Florida making my way to Georgia and um, hurricane Matthew came along. Oh, perfect. Okay. And I wasn't really paying attention to the news and whatever else, because there was just crazy stuff going on at that time. And I just wanted to listen to books and podcasts. I always had ear earplugs in because, uh, or headphones in because the noise of the high, I was on the highway the whole time. So cars going by me at 90 miles an hour and trucks at 70 oh miles an hour. God, that'll, that'll, that'll make you nuts. But Hurricane Matthew came along and I'm on whatever highway goes north. like the major interstate uh, 15 i don't even know what it was but closed like literally closed foot of water i'm in the middle of the day i'm making my way down this thing i got a poncho on the winds you know they go counterclockwise or they're in my face the whole time and i'm going like five miles an hour pedaling as hard as i can in a foot of water torrential downpour and all of a sudden i look behind me because i got to check every few minutes to see if there's any cars on the highway even though it's closed and a line of 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 uh of uh, 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 uh military trucks comes right must be the national guard or something and so <laughs> i look up at this dude at this big massive truck he rolls down his window and he goes sir i said yeah he goes do you realize that there there's a hurricane going on. Said, yeah, I do. He goes, I didn't notice. He goes, I go, yeah, I got that. He goes, do you know you're on the highway, sir? I go, yeah, I'm on the highway. He goes, do you need anything? I go, no, I'm good. He goes, okay, carry on. And he rolls up his window and they go by me. And I was just like, all right. I'm the, I'm the only guy in the hurricane that's, that's, that's stupid enough to bike. But yeah, I had some rough days. I had, oh. I had to get I had to get to where I needed to get to. I had to get to where you needed to get to. I mean, sometimes, sometimes, uh. you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, you had to do it. Um, so how many people did you visit on the, along this journey? Uh, well, I visited a lot. Um, I didn't get to see all the book participants because one was in Chicago that that wasn't 
uh, you know, conducive. One was in Vegas and, and I couldn't do Vegas because I had to go south and I, I, I met him in person a few times anyway. Um, but I saw most of the rest and I and I and I visited some hospitals and cancer centers. And and but honest, honestly, Chris, the the most amazing thing about the bike ride was every single day running into people every single day when they said, oh, what are you doing? And I told them every single day, multiple times a day. Oh, my gosh. You know, my grandpa just died of cancer. Oh, my gosh. You know, I have a friend at work that just had this situation happen. I don't know what to say to him. Oh my God. I want, I want to know what, what, what do the people in your book say about what I should do? And I'm like, oh, they're just telling their stories, but, but yeah, it, it'll help you every single day. Chris, I ran into a situation where, um, where people identified with this. I don't know what the hell to say to people, or I don't want to talk about what I'm going through. Cause I don't want to burden them. Um, and on almost every single day, I had some amazing act of kindness and unselfishness and support that was so moving and so touching that it just made me realize that when it comes to being human, like the most human thing we can be, we're all, we're all connected. We're all right. Yes. There's bad people. And yes, there's super good people. All right, fine. But I'm talking in general, people are good people. We, We all, we all realize we're human and 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 when you see somebody in trouble most of the time most people are going to stop what they're doing and figure out a way to help them and 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 i didn't know that going in right i mean i thought it i hoped it but i had no idea that is absolutely yeah heartwarming yeah good for you man so how many um, different cancer organizations have you supported over time with your fundraising? <laughs> and you're like, who knows? Right. So uh, for the book, so all the proceeds from the book and anything that comes from that, I do a lot of like um, a narrative uh, and expressive writing workshops. Um, I do some fitness retreats. I do things like that for cancer organizations. And, and, and that's all, that's all, you know, no, no cost. And, and all the proceeds from the book go to support the cancer focused charities that were chosen by the participants in the book. Okay. Oh, neat. oh, wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. So all, all of that are truly a servant. Uh, you know, I'm very, I'm very lucky to be able to do that. And, and I mean, really, I'm very lucky to be able to do that. Right. And you know, like I really didn't understand that concept. I didn't understand it. Right. Like I, I'm a control guy. So when people come over to the house, I'm like, they ask, can I help? I no, 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 I got it. I got it. Right. Like, like I got it. Like, even if there's 20 people over there and I'm making drinks and doing the barbecue and cooking and cleaning, like, I don't want them to help. And then my wife pulls me aside and she's like, dude, you know, you're ruining their experience. They want, they want to participate. You're not letting them. They want to help. You're not letting them. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, gotcha. So it's the person that's helping that's being served, not the person that they're helping. Got you. And so I'm like, I, I got it. That makes sense. So I probably connected with about 300 or so organizations that I'm working with in one way or another or doing something for something as simple as I sent them a book for their lending library or something more as I'm doing, you know, expressive writing um, workshops for the cancer community that they serve. So e- either way, it's, it's, it's a gift to me. Right. Um, you know, so, so, so I do it cause I love it. Um, and, you know, just the one or two little interactions that you get where you realize it, it's meaningful to people that just, <clears throat> excuse me, that's just, that's just very heartwarming. What, what, what else, if anything, what we haven't discussed, would you like for people to know about what you're up to? Uh, more books, more fun things. Um, uh, I love, love, love doing uh, writing workshops um, and teaching people how to, how to express themselves through writing. So um, I have some of that information on my, on my website. I, I still do um, endurance athletics. I've got, uh, I think I, we talked about it before. I got a 24 hour bike ride coming up oh, in yeah, Texas. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I've got a, another half Ironman coming up in, in Oregon. I'm doing a, I'm supporting a, a another organization in Missouri uh, with a bike ride um, the week after I do the 24 hour bike ride. So I got a lot of stuff going on. I like to stay active. This is going live around May 24th fish. Your 24 hour bike ride in Texas is uh, June, June 4th, 
June yeah. 4th. Noon to oh. noon. Noon to noon? Yeah. Yeah. I saw somebody on your Facebook page said, are you doing the dirt road? And he said, I'm not that crazy. <laughs> Can I tell you <laughs> no. a story? Can I tell you a story about that guy really quick? Super yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. a quick story. So I'm in Texas and Texas is, <laughs> it's big. Texas is freaking big. But when you get to Dallas, if you've ever been on the freeway system in Dallas, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. Things merge and they end and you're at an island and it's like really confusing. And I'm on the freeways the whole time. And by the way, Texas, sometimes people want to send their dogs to go chase after you. Sometimes they want you off their land. I mean, it's not, I'm not saying Texans aren't friendly, but it's, it's a scary place for a, for a California boy. So, um, so, you know what I'm saying? So I'm on the freeway and all this car goes whizzing by me, it's horn, and then it pulls over a side and I'm like, uh Oh, I'm in trouble. And this dude gets out of his car and he starts like this at me. And I'm like, oh, my God. All right. Uh, I just deal with what you got to deal with. And I get up there and it's this dude. And he goes, oh, my God. He looks like a big Santa Claus looking guy. And he goes, he goes, oh, my God. You know, I drove by you one time. And I said, this guy's got a story. Why else would he be on the freeway in Dallas biking by himself? He's got a story. And I said, I got to around and find this guy and ask what his story is. So I told him the story. I was I was getting five, six flats a day. Okay, five or six flats a day because from the steel belted radios, right? And and I was down in my last tube, and dude, I realized he was wearing cycling clothes, you know. And I said, "Oh my God, you're a cyclist." He goes, "Yeah." And so we talked about our stories, whatever. And then I said, Do "You know where there's a bike store around here?" Because I gotta, I, I gotta get some tubes. And he's like, "Yeah, let me give you the directions, whatever." And we had our little talk, and off he went. He said, "Man, I'm gonna live off of this story for months." It was the greatest thing. Right? Really great interaction. Super, super wonderful meeting a stranger. And then I make my way to the bike store, and I walk in, and I go, "Hey, you know, uh, uh, Steve told me to come here." He's like, "Oh, you're the guy Carrie talked about." And everybody started clapping, and I'm like, "Oh my God, he's already living off this story." So he became a friend um, uh, out of just. He saw me on the freeway and he stopped to say, what the hell is this guy's story? That's the guy who made the that's comment. The, who asked, that's the, the guy. Name? Yeah. His name is Steve Keller. Steve and, Keller. Uh, shout out yeah. to Steve Keller, man. Shout out to Keller. He's, he's an amazing dude. One of the most positive people ever. And, and, and when you stop for five minutes to talk to a stranger, sometimes it's yeah. life altering. Yeah. I'm so glad you go, stopped. Steve Keller, man. Way to create a beautiful story. I know, it gets right? to be part of this beautiful interview. That's <laughs> spectacular, man. Thank you for telling that story. Man, you got stories for days. Ah, I know. No, ah, you did. It's great, man. It's beautiful. <laughs> so uh, cycleoflives.org. We're going to put all this stuff in the show yep. notes, okay? Yes. That um, actually, when I went there today, that redirected back to your website, which is dave-richmond.com. Yes. It's the same thing, right? Same, same thing, thing. Same thing. So cycleoflives.org might be easier to remember, yes. but I'll put up both in the show notes, of course. And then I definitely encourage people to connect with you on Facebook because you, you're posting cool, inspiring stuff there. You're also on Instagram, so we'll put all those links in there. Thank you. Is there anything else, any anywhere else where we can direct people, or is, or is that it? No, that's it, man. I just, uh, um, um, thank I just you. love it. Yeah. I'm so sorry to cut you off. What were you saying? No, I was just gonna say I, I love I love what what you're doing. I. I you know, I know that you do this because you want to do it, not because of any kind of secondary thing. And it's really wonderful because um, sometimes you're listening to a podcast or you're reading a book or you're listening to a story in an interview or whatever, and it just hits you. And when it's only just one person, it's just it's it's the most incredible thing ever. Sometimes it's even more incredible when it's only one person, because then you go, wow, that's a connection. So I really appreciate what you do. I know you're going to continue to do it. I'll continue to do it. And Amen, hopefully our, our paths will cross again. I suspect they will. Oh, and uh, so the book is also out on audio now available on Amazon. That really? is a great thing. If you listen to audio books, yeah. I hired 15 different professional voiceover actors to do each one of the 15 stories that are in the book. Oh. And so it's not me talking. I do a little bit, the narrative in between, but the 15 stories that are, they're told uh, from the point of view of the person, um, their narrative, very interesting, very, very uplifting and optimistic stories, but each one is by a, a different actor. So when you're listening to an audio book, sometimes it's hard 
to continue with the train because sometimes you got to put it away for a week or two. But with this one, when you're done with the story, you pick it up. Oh, you got a new story. It's a new new person, new story. So it, it's a really satisfying audio book in that you don't have to stay committed to it straight through. That's beautiful. Cycle of Lives on Amazon. David, this has been really enriching for me. And I know for, for the Tough Talks tribe. So I want to give you a huge, huge virtual hug and, and, uh, and a big thank you, man. You're amazing. Oh, thank you. Way I, to I, use your life. Hey. You know, I wasted enough time, right? I got to stop wasting time, man. Gotta yeah, stop doing time, it. no more. That's an Almond Brothers song. Anyways, <laughs> um, no. <laughs> Almond Brothers. Yeah, baby. Uh, All right, brother. Um, Appreciate you, man. Big time. All right. Thanks, Chris. Take care. You know, I didn't, I didn't think of it until afterwards, after we hung up, but I'm wearing the Vibe Up shirt today. And uh, what a great vibe I got from that guy. And I know you did, too. David Richmond. What a neat dude. What, a, what an amazing dude, right? Talk about, you know, one of my favorite questions that I love to reflect upon and to ask people to also reflect upon and answer. Uh, I learned it from the late, great Dr. Wayne Dyer. And here it is. How do you most profoundly want to use the rest of your life? That's a doozy, isn't it? It's beautifully crafted. It's like every word is important and the placing of it. How do you most profoundly want to use the rest of your life? I love the way that guy's using his. <clears throat> and I'm, uh, I'm about to get my own copy of the audio book cycle of lives and I'll be listening to that as I cycle around Chandler, Arizona on my bicycle and uh, listen to it <clears throat> in my, on my uh, drives. So lots of takeaways there. If you can, uh, well, of course you can. If you're on Facebook, then you can, if you're on Facebook, uh, hook up with him, link with him. Um, and uh, just follow, he's up to amazing, he's just a good damn human, you know, doing remarkable things in service to people. And what a fun, creating stories, creating stories. We're all connected, right? There's two big truths. I love these. We're all connected by emotion and we're all connected by stories. And he's got stories, stories for days. All right, folks, I really appreciate your tuning in. Uh, and uh, until next time, great miracles. Thank you.